Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. So we're in the last week of our series called Unstuck. And um, again, I, I think that sometimes when you do a series, you can feel like you're all over the place. It can feel a little discombobulated. But the idea is that this last year has been a difficult year. It's been one filled with um, fear, with anxiousness, with uh, depression, with loss, with disappointment, um, with division, with un- in, like a, a ton of injustice happening in our world. And so uh, it's been a hard year. And so what does it look like for us to step out of that and begin to thrive as a community? And so we've looked at all kinds of things the last few weeks. And this is the last one. And it's kind of, I would say, a little bit in unison with what we did last week. Last week we talked about purpose. And our purpose in life, first and foremost, on the everyday scale, was to have like life in the Spirit. It was that simple. Paul spoke in Ephesians on that. But we also looked at the trajectory. Like what is it, how, how do we make big decisions? How do we deal with these major questions in our life about do we move here? Do we take this job? Do we um, have a relationship with this person? Do you know whatever else is in our, in our lives? This week I want to talk about fear and how fear often uh, freezes us and holds us and, and, and keeps us from doing the things that God asks us to do. Like I would say that the most um, significant factor in keeping us from following God and what God would have for our lives is fear. So today I want to talk about fear. It's really interesting to watch your kids start to be afraid of things. One day they're perfectly fine and then the next day they're scared of the dark and you can't really figure it out. Why did they move from being fine and not afraid to afraid? Who told them? Did, did their older sibling tell them that they should be afraid? Did someone at school say, I'm afraid of the dark? And then they started thinking about it. Yeah, it is a little bit creepy in the dark. So I don't, you know, I don't want to go up there. My daughter, Sandy, is petrified of any floor that has no other human being on it. And so we have a couple of different, like, small floors in our house. And if we're on the main floor and she has to go up to the bathroom, she'll stand there and just look at us, waiting for somebody else to go up the stairs so that she doesn't have to be afraid. Finally, she'll say, uh, Dad, do you have to uh, go upstairs for anything? And I'll say, uh, no. Um, I say, you got this. You know, I know you're afraid of the dark. I'll just call it out. You know, like, I know you're scared. I'm not scared. Uh, Maze, do you need to go? And you know, it's just like this constant like way to try to get someone to go up there with her so she doesn't have to be afraid anymore. But we're all afraid of things, right? And actually, I would say that fear drives so many aspects of our world, right? I mean, basically, political pa- platforms are built on trying to create fear in your life so that you'll vote for a particular candidate that can solve your fear, right? I mean, this is like a reality. So it divides our, our politics. It, it divides religion. I mean... There, are, there have been millions and millions and millions and millions of people that have converted to different faiths out of fear. It's out of social issues, right? Every single social issue is, you know, like we, we talk about these things and a lot of it's like, oh, your rights are going to be taken away. It's driven by fear. What we believe is often not about other people, but what we might lose in the process. 
Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown wrote in an interview a few years ago that the central question that drives our country is, what am I supposed to be afraid of and whose fault is it? And so I think that as a church and as a people, we need to consider this idea of fear. There is such thing as good fear. I was trying to think about that this week. Is all fear bad? Like if you're in the wilderness, let's just imagine, and, uh, oh no, maybe, yeah, let's do that one. We're in the wilderness and there's a big bear um, and the, the bear is angry and looking for food. I think it's probably good that you were, you'd have some fear. You'd think, okay, this is probably not a great situation for me to be in. I'm going to head out the other way. I'm not saying you freak out, you start running, that probably isn't the best plan, but how do you remove yourself from a situation with this bear because you know it's not safe? Or your house is on fire, right? You don't just hang out and uh, you know, just wait for the more and more smoke to enter. Oh, this is pretty bad. I should probably leave now. Like fear drives us to good things. It's, it's something that God has given us. But there is something that is very terrible about fear. It's debilitating, it brings anxiety, it brings worry, and all sorts of other things that are simply not from God. We can have fear about anything, right? About being sick, about being rejected, about being laughed at, about being replaced, about losing a job, about not being able to pay bills, about uh, getting uh, put out of your housing, about your kids doing bad things. Um, fear can be the result, your rage can, can show that you're afraid, your you know, drinking can show that you are afraid, your bad eating habits can show that you're afraid, drugs can show that you are afraid. We are nervous about our kids doing bad things, about not having enough money, about not having enough friends, about not being safe, of being alone. You can go on and on and on. And fear will cause us to make ungodly, irrational decisions. I've seen countless people that are so afraid of being alone that they'll marry somebody that they shouldn't marry. I've seen people... um, they don't believe that they're going to have good things, so they'll just take anything that they can get. And I think that what Satan does in the process of all of this is that as you overcome fear, Satan keeps moving the goalposts. Satan is not that creative, but he is good at what he does. So there may be a lie that you realize that you've been told for a long time that isn't true, but Satan will just move on to the next thing. So you'll, maybe you're worried about getting a job and Satan's telling you this lie, well, you're unemployable, you're not good enough, you, you'll never get a job and then you get a job and someone will say, well, you'll never have your own house, right? You'll move on to the next thing. You'll never keep your house. You'll never have friends. Then you'll get friends. And then you'll say, you'll never find someone that wants to, you know, be a, a good friend. You know, it just kind of goes on and on and on, right? Just keeps moving us. You'll never get married. Then you end up getting married. You'll never have children. Then you have children. Then your children won't turn out right. You know, it's like this constant fear of something else that's always on our midst. Anytime unhealthy fear enters your life, you can rest assured that it did not come from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Do you know that the number one phrase in the scriptures, the one that's repeated more than anything else, is the phrase, do not fear. So this is something that is significant to God. Fear is significant to God. And our unhealthy fear is it matters what we do with that. 
over hundreds of times, over a hundred times in the Old Testament and New Testament, the prophets and the apostles will say, do not fear or be not afraid. It is addressed more than pride or lust or, or violence or anything else that you can think of. Apparently, overcoming our fears is a large part of what it means to be spiritually mature. Exodus 3. We come to the story of Moses. And for the context of this, imagine uh, Moses. He, as you know the story, he was brought into Pharaoh's house as a young baby, finds out that he is an Israelite, and he should be part of the oppressed people, and ends up killing an Egyptian and flees. He runs away. And for decades, Moses is hanging out in the wilderness as a shepherd. He has, in many ways, given up on any significant thing happening in his life. Though he had gotten married and though he may have had a sense of happiness and, and, and purpose and things out there, I, I, I don't know. God had something more in store for him. And so one day, can you imagine, after decades and decades and decades of being away from your people, of, of living in this reality of what you had done in the past, you see a burning bush, which was rare probably, you show up and God begins to speak. And then God starts to declare that he has seen the trouble, the slavery, the oppression of your people, and you are going to be the one to deliver your pe- like my people. Can you imagine what had to be going through Moses' head at that time? I'm going to be the one? The, the shepherd, the guy that ran away years and years ago? And by his responses, we see his fear of what God is asking him to do. Moses turns his face away, it says, in fear because he was afraid. Now, he's afraid because he is encountering the great I am, the God of the universe. There's a healthy fear of of awe and reverence for God that Moses is displaying. But Moses, being asked this task, just believes it's too big for him. And I I just can't think about how many times we've probably been uh, hinted at by God or told directly by God that we're called to do something and we start making excuses. So Moses starts making excuses. He shows five instances of fear. And these are excuses. See if you can relate to these. The first one is I'm incapable. Verse 11 says, Moses says to God, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm a failure. I'm a murderer. I mean, he's probably thinking, I, don't, I, I have all these flaws in my life. Who am I to be this person that you call to do this task? Get somebody else. And God's response to him is fascinating. I think it's one that echoes throughout the Bible. Yahweh says, I will be with you in verse 12. I will be with you. You don't need to be afraid. Whatever I'm asking you to do, the promise is right there. I will be with you. I will not leave you by yourself. I will go with you. The second fear Moses states, is in verse 13, he says, I can't answer their questions, essentially. This is what he says. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites 
and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I don't have the answers. You're asking me to do a task that I am completely unprepared to do. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the experience. I don't even know who you are. And God responds to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Goes on in verse 18, he says, and then this, listen to this, what he says to him. These are really important. He says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. And then he makes another promise in verse 21. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Basically what God is saying is, not only will everyone listen to you, but you are going to walk out of Egypt, out of your oppressor's hands, with all of their silver and gold. (laughs) That's the promise. Not only is this going to work out, not only do you know who I am now, but I am so good and I am so great and I am so powerful and I care so deeply for this people that I'm not just going to rescue you, I'm going to have you walk out with abundance. Moses uh, does not give up the fight. And in Exodus 4, which we didn't read, and I'm just going to express to you, uh, and you're going to have to believe me or open up your Bibles or phone, you can look. And verse 1 of chapter 4 Moses has his next fear. His fear is that no one is going to listen to me. Doesn't that sound familiar? What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? What if they doubt what you said? And I think it's so fascinating that he asks them almost the exact same question. as like, He says, like, well, who are you? And I'm not, I don't know the answers to this. And then he basically said, like, what if they don't believe me? And God just said, I already told you that they would believe you. I already told you that you're going to walk out of this space, out of this country in abundance. But God's response is interesting. He gives them three signs. Three signs that they will recognize me, that they, know, they will know that this is a real message from God. The first is that your staff can turn into a snake and then you can pick it up again and it turns back into a staff. The second would be that your hand becomes diseased with leprosy and then it can be healed. The third is that the Nile, you'll be able to turn the Nile water into blood. Moses, still, can you imagine that God, like God is speaking from a bush. You're hearing an audible voice. I mean, I know that has to be very intimidating and a little bit scary, But you're hearing this audible voice. Then he shows you three miraculous signs that you can show. He tells you exactly who he is and that he's going to be with you the whole time. And yet still, Moses is afraid. The fourth fear comes from verse 10 in chapter 4. Moses says, well, I don't speak well. O Lord, I have never been eloquent, Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I can't tell you how many people have used that excuse <laughs> to me over the years when you ask them to, to just do anything. Oh, I, don't, I, just, I don't really speak very well. I don't really do that sort of thing. And I get that. There are gifts of and abilities given from God. What an excuse. God's response to his fear. Well, this is what Moses says. I've never been eloquent, slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Now go. 
I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Is it not I, the Lord, who gives you the ability to speak? I think it's interesting that the most successful people in God's kingdom, you can look in the scriptures, are people that uh, were not well knowledgeable, like were not well esteemed for their knowledge or their speech, oftentimes. Like Paul in the New Testament. Paul uh, would speak plainly to people. And he wasn't considered that great of an order, which was really important. And yet hundreds, if not thousands of people were coming to faith because of his influence. Peter was just a fisherman. Had very little education. Yet here he is speaking truth to power. And God promising him in Acts that he would give him the words to say when he's standing in front of the most powerful men in the world that he knew. The fifth fear. This is my favorite one. It's verse 13. Don't make me do it. <laughs> Verse 13. Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Please send someone else. And God is frustrated at Moses. And yet he still compromises. He still offers him his brother Aaron, who speaks well. He says, I will help you both. I will put words in your mouth. And I, why I went through that whole exercise is I want to ask you this question, or, or make this statement, I should say. Fear almost cost Moses his entire ministry. Isn't that incredible? Like, he was afraid, and it almost cost him leading the Israelites. Like the greatest prophet in the Bible is said to be Moses. He's the most revered when we get to the New Testament. And Moses' ministry almost did not exist because of fear. And so I think there's questions that we must ask ourselves. Is what is God calling us to do or you to do that you refuse because you are afraid? How might your life look different if you stopped living in, in fear and weren't so concerned about failure or not measuring up? This is a consistent theme. and I'm just going to give you a couple more examples of this. Deuteronomy 1 is the people, the same people, the same group of people that were delivered out of Egypt um, through miraculous signs, had been fed manna in the desert, had been uh, led by uh, a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. That same people get to the promised land and they're, uh, you know, hundreds of feet away from it. And they're afraid. And they send out spies. And 10 of the 12 spies come back and say, the people are too big. The walls are too high. We cannot do this. They're stronger than us. And God says in verse 29, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God will go before you. Think about that. That fear in this case, actually kept them from the promised land. They went all the way into the wilderness, but because they were not able to overcome their fear, they were not able to trust God fully, they were on the verge of what God had promised them and had been faithful to do. Their entire inheritance was right there in front of them, but they were afraid. Now notice, What's so fascinating to me about this is not that God stops loving them. 
They don't stop being his people. They didn't somehow lose God or the love of God, but they spent the rest of their lives in the wilderness instead of the promised land. Moving towards the New Testament, I think of the rich young ruler, Luke 18, verse 18 through 23. He says, I want to come follow you. And Jesus says, well, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and let's do it. But he was afraid. What if I don't have money? That was a big risk. The comfort of his wealth and the lifestyle But then you look at on the flip side, he missed out on following the Messiah. He missed out on Jesus because he was afraid. I mean, you could go through countless examples. John Mark, who left the first missionary journey of Barnabas and Paul, missed out on baptisms and starting churches. I mean, think about what he missed out on. All the adventure that God might have for him in his life. God still fulfilled his purposes, people still went to the promised land. If Moses hadn't done it, somebody else would have. And so my concern this morning, and what I'm trying to get across to us, is that when we think about the larger trajectory of our lives, when we think about our purpose, like we talked last week, as we finish up the series that's really supposed to be one on on, on like a a spiritual development, not a self-help book, I'm not trying to give you practical advice to overcome your fear necessarily this morning. I'm trying to raise the questions. If God says, do not fear more than anything else in the scriptures, how is fear holding us back? Is there anything that God has impressed on your heart that God wants you to do. It could be something as simple as moving out of your apartment into a new one. But you're unwilling because you're afraid. God has something maybe for many of you in this room right now, but you're afraid. And this is the thing. It's okay to ask for a sign. Sometimes I think people are like, God, just show me a sign. I'm like, come on, just... But Moses did it. I guess if Moses did it, if Gideon did it, right, Thomas did it, God sometimes gives us signs. So my concern is that God has something for you right now, but you're too afraid to step into it because you're living in fear. And the second thing is some of you are content living in the wilderness instead of the promised land because you're afraid. I think some of us are living in addiction because we are petrified about what life looks like in true freedom. I think some of us are afraid of other people because it's easier to ostracize others than to be changed by their influence. And this verse in John 4.18 says, the perfect love of God casts out fear. And I love that. And I want that to be kind of the anthem verse for us today. I know I'm a little bit all over the scriptures. We usually walk through one scripture passage. But I I, I love that verse because it really gives the answer and the key to all of this. The perfect love of God casts out fear. Human love demands human meriting. It breeds anxiety because you're afraid that if you don't live a certain way or do a certain thing, that that person will stop loving you. 
And as much as we can say to one another that our love is unconditional, there does seem to be a condition to it at some point. But God declares in his perfect love, and his agape love, and his love that sent Jesus all the way to, cro- to the cross, that his love is unconditional. And that love comes to us in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our addiction, in the midst of our freedom. And that that love is enough for us to walk without fear and walk in the power of the Spirit content that whatever comes in our path, God has not abandoned us, that he is with us. And part of fear, and and, and what I've, I've learned as I've read more about fear, is that fear doesn't often always go away. Like even if you step into what God wants, you can still be afraid. But there's a level of consciousness of knowing that that's your fear and still moving forward in the midst of that. And that's what courage is. Is that knowing that this is a scary proposition, knowing that this is the thing that may God want me to do, I'm afraid of that thing, but walking in it anyways. And that's how we become courageous. That's how we begin to walk in trusting in the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't demand trust if it wasn't a little bit scary, if it wasn't a little bit costly. So what happens to us is that we don't often just get less afraid, but we get more courageous. And when God's love invades our hearts and our minds truly as it's designed to do, and the Holy Spirit, and we're walking with the Holy Spirit in our lives like we discussed last week, life in the Spirit each day, we gain more courage. We gain a a willingness to step out even into our fears so that God can use us. And there's story after story. This is the story of the scriptures. Is God using people that had no business being used to do incredible things for his kingdom. Let's pray. God, we'd ask this morning that your perfect love would cast out our fears. And that even now, even in this moment, those of us that are living in fear, it could be fear of uh, of really anything. It could be simple things, it could be drastic things, it could be small things, it could be big things. I'm just asking God that your, that your love would invade our hearts and our minds and recognize that there's nothing that we can do that separates us from your love. That, that there's uh, the height and depth and width and length that we, that of, of your love is something that you desire us to know fully. And when we experience your love, it, it, it moves fear to the side so we can step out in courage. And so, God, I ask for people in our church right now, like people right here right now, that we would be known as a courageous church, a church that's counted the cost and stepped out in our fears to do whatever you've asked us to do. Would we be known as a group of people that when God says move, that we move, when God says go, that we go, when God says stop, that we stop. And for those of us that are doubting and questioning and are not sure what to do, God, would you give us a sign even this week, a sign of your love, a sign of your grace, that love that casts out fear. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. 
We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.